chapter 1. And what I hope to cover with you tonight is, um, is important to our current study. And to be honest with you, if, it, it would be a bit much to try to cover in just one standard session. But since we are foregoing our normal routine of, of our praise and worship and then the Word will give me a few more minutes, hopefully, to, to get all this covered uh, in, in one session together. But we're continuing to talk about our fellowship with God and the importance of fellowship with God. And what we see in Scripture is that it's not a personal relationship, as we often hear people talk about in the body of Christ, but it's mutual fellowship. And there is a big, big difference between personal relationship and mutual fellowship. And so some of our uh, key verses for this study, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, we'll begin there. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we see is that Father God wants to have the same fellowship with you that he enjoys with Jesus, and vice versa. He has given you the same access to himself as he has given to and as he enjoys with his Son, Jesus. Last week we looked at that passage from multiple translations and we see words used like uh, companionship and participation in the amplified version we see partners in the god's word translation we see an invitation to co-share the life of his son in the uh, passion translation we see partnership with his son in the new living translation so again all of these different expressions in the way these various translations present this concept of fellowship help give us a, a more well-rounded view of and understanding of what, um, what it's all about. Now, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, and if we were going to just limit this to one anchor passage, it, it would be this one. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 beginning at verse number one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He's talking about his personal experience with Jesus, his, his personal testament. When I say, you know, I'm, I'm almost a little hesitant to use that word personal, but this is a applicable uh, usage of that word because because John rubbed shoulders with him. John traveled with Jesus. John spent many days and nights with Jesus. He ate meals with Jesus. He ministered alongside Jesus. And his testimony then is one of eyewitness testimony and experience. And so he goes on in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So let me stop here for a moment. I think if I was to ask you, hey, you know, you think Jesus enjoys some pretty close fellowship with the Father? I, I think people would say, uh, duh, of course, you know. And then if we were to say, well, what about John the Beloved? You know, maybe, you know, one of the great apostles and, and disciples and, and founding fathers of, I mean, his name's on a foundation stone in heaven, you know what I'm saying? So reckon he has pretty close fellowship with Jesus and the Father. And I think we would all agree that, that that would be the case as well. But notice now, he's saying 
that we've been invited into. Just what we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see echoed and reinforced here in 1 John chapter 1, that we also may have fellowship, that you also may have fellowship with us. Us is a fellowship word. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, we'll come back to, to this because, again, there's a target I want to try to hit tonight. But it's, it's one thing to have right standing with, with the Father. It's another thing to enjoy fellowship with Him. And a lot of times when I teach on salvation, and we say that the new birth is a literal experience. It's not figurative. It's, it's not a metaphor. We are literally born a second time of a different seed. And that's how we become children of God. That's what makes us children of God. And Jesus said, you know, if you let him make you a son of God, you will abide in Father's house forever. So standing with God is something that, that we receive as a gift, an abundance of grace, and a gift of righteousness. Amen. And that's obviously critically important and absolutely necessary for us to have fellowship with God the Father. But you can be a child of God and not be walking in fellowship with Him. Amen. Are you understand what I'm saying? You, I use the example of my, my dad. It's one thing for me to be David Winslet's son. It's another thing for me to enjoy fellowship with him. And I could do things, thank, thank God the Lord's helped me not to do that, but I could do things that would offend him or hurt him or alienate him. And it wouldn't change my standing with him as a son, but it would certainly impact the fellowship that I enjoy with him. And so when he's talking about walking in the light, we've got to walk in the light that we've been given in order to enjoy the fellowship. It's not, it's not whether or not you're, you're saved. Amen. That's, a, that's a, a gift. But the fellowship is the part. A lot of this, and we've already went to this well a few times, we'll probably go back to it a few more times. But it's, it's like a husband and wife can have a, a, a covenant that makes them one, but that doesn't mean that they enjoy one another's company. They, en they, they enjoy the fellowship, right? So the covenant creates the opportunity for fellowship, but there's then parts that both parties have to, to you know, be willing to, to submit to and attitudes and these kinds of things to enjoy the fellowship. Amen. All right. Now, um, a few things that I just want to cover, continually remind you of is that fellowship with God is your number one purpose. And all other purposes are not only secondary, but they are dependent upon your fellowship with God. And that you were created in the image and likeness of God so you could have fellowship with Him. And again, we're, we're doing some review here. We've said that God is an eternal community dwelling in absolute communion. So we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And communion here means the idea of sharing and exchange, a mutual sharing and exchange. So you could think of communion not just as the wafer and the juice, but as common union between people. Now, you were created by God for fellowship with God. This means the eternal community that is God created you to have an equal share in their 
common union. Then we spent some time in Genesis talking about comparability and compatibility and how there was none comparable to Adam of all the living things that God created that Adam had relationship with. He could not have fellowship with those things because those different created things were not comparable to him. And so God made him a helper comparable to him. And comparable means to stand opposite to and face to face with. The ability to see eye to eye. The ability to have agreement, harmony, oneness, and sharing. So the key thing here is fellowship is not possible without comparability. Without comparability. In, in a moment, we're going to get to a parable in, in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus tells us what the kingdom is like. And, and, to, and to understand kingdom is to understand fellowship because the kingdom functions and grows and prospers and expands through fellowship. You take fellowship out of the kingdom, just like you take fellowship out of the Godhead, you don't have God anymore. And, and so, you know, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another is, is, how the, is how the kingdom grows and how the kingdom expands. And so in that parable where the, the laborer is complaining because he wasn't paid more because he worked longer, the, the landowner says, um, you know, you're complaining against me. Is it not my right? Is it not my right to do with what belongs to me as I please? And, and where that carries over into what we're talking about right now is, is I think a lot of people struggle with this, uh, this idea of God making us comparable to him so that we could be compatible with him and have fellowship with him. And we try to understand that from our position and from our perspective well, that without ever considering this was God's idea. We didn't demand this. We, we didn't you know, require this of God in order for us to agree to him creating us. This was his purpose. This was his plan. He did this, as it says in Ephesians, according to the counsel of his own will. He didn't, you know, assemble a committee and ask people what they, no, this was what he desired, this is what he wanted, and, and this is what he has given to us. And, and it's his to give, are you hearing me? It's his to give, and if it's his to give, then that means it's ours to receive. Now, there are a lot of people who aren't going to receive it, and that makes me very sad. That makes me very sad for them, but listen to me, that just makes me sad for them, because when you really begin to understand fellowship, it's, it's not just what the individual who rejects fellowship misses out on. It's what Father God misses out on with them. Are you following what I mean here? It's because he, he desires that fellowship with us. With us. All right, now. This kind of brings us to where we were last week. And last week, we looked at a familiar passage to a lot of people out of 2 Corinthians 6, where we're told to, to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers and then he asked the question, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And then he goes on, he talks about the communion, he uses the word accord, he uses uh, the word part or portion, and then he uses the word agreement in these uh, handful of verses here. And we said this entire passage is speaking to fellowship. Then we looked at the verse in Deuteronomy 22 where God commanded for them to never plow with an, an ox and a donkey, I started saying onky, <laughs> an ox and a donkey together in the same yoke. That's, that's a, 
a picture of things being unequally yoked together. So what we then can understand is that a yoke represents the common union of fellowship. If you understand how a yoke works, it literally takes two oxen and combines them together in one partnership, in one companionship. And so when Jesus invites you and me, and that's another key word for tonight, when he invites us to come to him, to come to him and receive rest from him and to take his yoke upon ourselves, he is inviting us into fellowship with him. Again, the yoke is a physical implement that joins two things together, two animals together, two individuals together as one. But remember the commandment is, is to never yoke unequal things together. So this is yet another confirmation in Scripture that Father God desires oneness with you. He would not violate His own word to not be unequally yoked together and then invite you into a yoke with His Son if that would be an unequal yoking. Are you following what I'm saying tonight? So the yoke represents the common union of fellowship. Now, the bottom line that we ended on last week was the things you really need to know can only be learned through fellowship. In that passage of Matthew 11 where Jesus gives us that invitation, he begins by saying this in verse 27. In other words, before he ever invites us to come to him, receive rest, and take his yoke, he says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then he says, come to me. Right? So he's, he's making this statement. He's saying, listen, there are things about my Father that no one knows but me. And the only way you will ever know things that no one knows about the Father but me is if I reveal those things to you. And those things are revealed through the bond of relationship. Now, we see this. Turn with me to John, the 15th chapter. John chapter 15, praise God. John chapter 15. So the question is, did Jesus reveal things to those closest to him that he did not reveal to everyone? And the answer to that question is yes. And I hope that you have people in your life that you are able to share things with. Um, Brother Joel was speaking to our young adults on, on Monday night, and, and he was talking about you know, where we're instructed in James to confess our faults one to another. And of course, he he explained to the young adults, you don't want to just do that to anybody or with anybody, but there, you need to have people in your inner circle that, that you trust and they trust you. And that, I think that would be the bond of fellowship, Joel. That, that, hey, you know, you can say, I'm struggling in this area. I'm having some problem in this area. Would you pray with me? Would you, would you provide some accountability for me uh, in, in this area? And so in the same way that you shouldn't put your business out on the Internet or Main Street for everyone, you should have people in your life that you're very close to, that, that you have fellowship with, that, um, that you can share things with that you wouldn't necessarily share with everyone. And that was what the 12 
were for Jesus. And then even amongst the 12, there was an inner, inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And we, see, we even see that Jesus uh, brought them, like for instance, when he was transfigured, that wasn't for everybody. That wasn't even for the entire 12 disciples. That was for three of them. And listen, that's, that was a choice that he made as directed by his heavenly father. And exactly why three and not all 12? Again, the wisdom of God. But it was something, it was a choice that was made. Now, listen to what Jesus says about this in John chapter 15. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He may give you. Now, let me make one thing clear before we go any further. Sometimes, you know, we talk about and in, in, in people, human beings, you know, they, they have favorites. You know, I don't, you, you, people say, well, you know, he's the teacher's pet or she's the teacher's pet. She's, she's the favorite, you know. And, and even at times, parents can, can swerve over into, uh, you know, playing favorites, doing for one what you wouldn't or don't necessarily do for another one of your children. That's, 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 I don't believe anybody listening to me right now is doing that, but if you're doing that, let's get that straightened out, okay? But now, listen to me. You would say, well, is that not what God is doing? Is that not what Jesus is doing right here? See, what you've got to understand about Him, what you've got to understand about the Lord is that we, we all have equal access and equal opportunity. Anytime God gives something to one person that He doesn't give to another person, it's because the, that the person that He gave it to has uh, proven themselves worthy that they can be trusted with that. Are you hearing me? The Bible talks about stewardship stewardship and and the bible says you know that until you can be trusted with what belongs to somebody else you don't qualify for true riches and if you learn to be faithful in a few things right then god will increase and and make you a uh, ruler over many things so when we look at you know you say well he's playing favorites with peter james and john well what that tells me from other bible verses is that these men had a heart for and a hunger for and, and, a, and a loyalty level and a commitment level that the other disciples hadn't grown into yet. Is that fair enough? Y'all are getting quiet on me up in here. All right, so he went on to say, these things I command you that you love one another. Now, <clears throat> I believe that fellowship with God is among the things that Satan fears the most and tries the hardest to steal from God's people. We've made that statement a few times already. And one, he tries to steal that because, as we've already stated, it's so precious to God the Father to be able to have that kind of fellowship with you that he has with his son. But Satan wants to steal it from you because so much of what God wants to do in your life by way of you growing up into Jesus in all things, is dependent upon your fellowship with Him. Remember, some of the things that you need to know the most can only be learned and understood through fellowship. So if, 
if Satan can confuse us or, or keep us deceived or keep us ignorant in the dark about fellowship with God, he can, in essence, hinder, if not shut off altogether, everything that Father God wants to do in and through your life that comes via fellowship with him. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, if, if Satan can steal the fellowship with God from you, he can steal everything that fellowship with God will produce in and through you. Amen? Okay. So, we've said that ignorance is, is, is one of the key ways, but then also, I believe it's... Um, the way the devil does this so many times is he tries to offer a counterfeit for everything that, that God has as, as pure and genuine and true. Um, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about genuine faith versus uh, an, uh, a feigned faith, as it says in the, in the King James Version, that we should have an unfeigned faith. There's not, not something that looks... Uh, like faith on the outside, but is not really faith on the inside. And there's all these different things that Satan tries to negotiate us into accepting that are far beneath and far less than the, the genuine and the true and, and, the, and the upper echelon, if you will, of, of the pure and holy things that God wants to produce in our lives. And so with that said, many of God's people have settled for a personal relationship with God instead of the mutual fellowship he desires. Now, I know I've made this statement a time or two, and I'm really tonight, in the time that we have left, I want to try to explain to you what, what we mean by that, amen, and why what a lot of people consider to be the gold standard declaration of one's faith is actually far beneath what it is that Father God actually desires to have. You know, you, you hear people say things like, I'm not religious, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I understand those things maybe kind of roll off the tongue because religious and relationship tend to, you know, be similar words. But what if I told you, a personal relationship with God is nowhere to be found in Scripture. The Bible doesn't talk about personal relationship with God. You won't find it anywhere in the Scripture. And on top of that, what if I told you that, even, that not even Jesus has a personal relationship with God the Father? Now, again, I know that may sound almost blasphemous to some people, and I can imagine some folks out there in Internet land or, you know, uh, screaming right now no just stay with me for a minute because so many of the things that the enemy uses against us are very subtle and they become they become widely accepted and they become commonplace and remember what Jesus said he said it's tradition it's tradition that that we embrace and hold on to and so readily accept that prevents the real power in the Word of God from being effective and having effect in our lives. He said, your traditions have made the Word of God of no effect. Well, it's very easy to, to, to look at, at, at the religious leaders and the Pharisees and say, yeah, Jesus, you tell them. But how many traditions do we have, things that we've just heard our whole lives, that we think are... are you know, backed up by, you know, multiple scriptures. 
that have no scriptural backing whatsoever. And, and, and I believe, again, this concept of a personal relationship is, is one of those areas of deception. So we're going to clear that up, amen? So God has not called us, again, He's not called us to personal relationship, but to mutual fellowship. So that's, that's the importance of that verse, that He has called you into the same fellowship with Him as His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but let me, let me just say this for, for a moment, because it keeps kind of percolating up in me. Maybe this is something somebody needs to hear in order to sort through what we're about to say, right? God didn't call you to have any kind of relationship with him you want to have. That's really important right there. He didn't call you, you know, he didn't say, hey, just come on and, and whatever relationship with me you desire, then that's, what, that's how we'll work it out. That's not what he said. He's called you to a very specific place with him. One that was established before Adam was ever created. Remember that, amen? The Bible says that, you know, he predetermined, he predetermined for you to be as Jesus is to him before he ever created a single one of us. This was what was in the heart of God before he created us. This is why, and I don't, I don't mean to trivialize this, this is why he's went through so much trouble where you and I are concerned. And for him to do everything that he's done and then say, okay, well, whatever kind of relationship you want to have, that's fine. No, that's, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable, right? So, the first problem that we run into with this personal relationship uh, terminology, and, and what we're going to see, in, in Jesus' name, with the Holy Spirit's help, this is what we're going to see. He's going to open our eyes to this is that there is a mindset that goes along with the idea of a personal relationship with God. Again, it's subtle. There's a mindset that goes along with it. And that mindset, more than anything else, listen, some say tomato, others say tomato. I got that. Shakespeare, a rose by any other name, will still smell as sweet. But words mean something. Words mean something. And, and the words personal... And the words relationship mean something. And they do not mean the same thing as mutual and as fellowship means. Personal and relationship mean far less than mutual and fellowship. And so what is, has he called you to personal relationship or has he called you to have mutual fellowship with him and his son and John and every other born again believer that wants to have fellowship with him? That's what we've been called to. All right, now, the first problem with personal relationship is the word personal. And I think you'll see, have you ever stopped to consider what the word personal actually means? And this is huge, okay? Personal, personal means private, secretive, exclusive, self-defined, unique to the individual. Wow. All right, now, listen, I'm going to give you some definitions for these. Private means belonging to one particular person or group. See, when we say we have a personal relationship with God, whether we, you say, well, I, that's not what I mean when I say that, Pastor Mark, but again, words mean something, right? 
When we say we have a personal relationship with God, we're saying we have a private relationship with Him, we have a secretive relationship with Him, an exclusive, self-defined, and unique-to-me relationship with Him. When I tell you not even Jesus has a personal relationship with God the Father, you know, we think, well, you know, I mean, Jesus has got something with the Father that nobody else has, not according to the Word. You've been called into the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus Christ, His Son and our Lord. Man. You see why the devil wants to steal this from you? Right? The devil never... See, the devil wants your personal relationship with God to be something exclusive to an hour or so, a few Sunday mornings a month or a, or a year or whatever, a quarter, whatever it is that people do these days, right? And, and, and then, you know, maybe you spend a little time with him a few mornings a week in a devotional, and then you leave him at the church or in your study or in your living room, and you go live your life. That's personal relationship. See, mutual fellowship is you and Jesus doing life together 24-7, 365. That's, that's personal fellowship. That's, that's mutual fellowship. Where, where you just, you're, you're constantly in your heart communing with Him, talking to Him, praying in the Spirit under your breath, trying to give you some practical ideas and, and, and thoughts of what fellowship, you know, where you, you talk to Him about heavy things from the Scripture or you talk to Him about what shirt to put on. Where you include Him in everything, in every aspect of, of your life, He wants to be involved with you. And listen to me now. See, he's not a man. we got to remember this. He's not a man. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking of God as a man. So I'm going to say it this way, okay? God has the bandwidth to do that. See, sometimes we think about, well, you know, I don't know. Somebody was talking one time about, you know, praying and using their faith and believing God for a good parking place. I mean, there were people who heard them say that, and they just roll their eyes. Don't you think God's got something better to do than help you find a good parking place? Park on the inn and walk. See, again, that's somebody who doesn't understand fellowship, and they don't understand the bandwidth of God. He is interested in every detail of your life. You say, I don't believe that, Pastor Mark. How many hairs are on your head? Doesn't God have something better to do than to keep up with how many hairs went down the shower drain this morning from your head? But he knows how many hairs are on your head right now. See, we, the devil never wants you to understand this about God. He never wants you to understand this about his love for you and his, and his desire to... to you know, share himself with you and for you to share yourself with him in every, every area, aspect, nook and cranny of your life. So instead the devil sold us this lie about a personal relationship and so many in the body of Christ today have this personal relationship mindset and they believe then that their relationship with God is somehow private. Does Jesus want you to keep private Seems like he said somewhere, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you see the difference there? 
well, you know, my faith's something very personal. See, that's, that, you know, that, how many people need to speak up in the, in the, in the marketplace, in, in the neighborhood, on the school campus, but instead, you know, it's just something that's very personal with me. No, see, it's never meant to be personal, never meant to be private, secretive, something not known or meant to be known by others. Have you, have you ever been around f- folks, and I, listen, I've, I've been doing this, been in the body of Christ for a long time, you know, and, and these people always try to act like they've got something with God that you don't have, and they know something you don't know, and it's, and it's not, and it's, it's, it's arrogance, it's, it's, it's pridefulness, and notice it plays right into this. So it's secretive, not known, or meant to be known by others, you wouldn't understand. You just wouldn't understand what I have with God. Really now? Amen. Well, so you're telling me that you have a version of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to understand things that I don't have. No, see, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be in you, He would be in you forever, and He would lead you and guide you into all truth. All truth. Now, listen, there are things that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that He hasn't revealed to everybody else. But see, when he reveals something to you that he hasn't revealed to everybody else, he just gave you something to share with everybody else. He just gave you, because common union, right, it's about exchange, it's about sharing, it's about, it's about individual members of the body of Christ sharpening one another. So no one person has everything revealed to them. That's not how the body works. It gives different graces and different abilities and different understandings and different perspectives to different members of the body of Christ so that we can then what? Share with all. Same with the gifts of the Spirit. I believe one of the reasons we are not seeing the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church today the way we should be seeing the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church today, it goes back to this personal relationship mindset. Exclusive, excluding, or not admitting others. Thank God we've come a long way in the body of Christ on this, but I, I, I remember the day when if you were not of the right race, if you were not of the right uh, uh, financial status, uh, if you were not of the right marital status, meaning if you had been divorced, that there were churches that you weren't welcome in. And I hate to hear it, but there's probably still some of those out there today. Exclusive, excluding, not admitting others. Self-defined, that's one of the biggest ones right there. Self-defined. If something is self-defined, it means you determine for yourself the nature, the scope, or the meaning of. And then unique is unlike or different from others. And by the way, unique is, is opposite to common union, something that is available to everyone. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I know, I know we're about out of time, but Think about how these different explanations of what the word personal means describe the mindset of so many in the body of Christ today. Belonging to one particular person or group. I was born a Baptist, I was raised a Baptist, I'll die a Baptist. Or a Methodist, or a Pentecostal, or a Word of Faith, or whatever it is. See, that, again... That's a, that's a personal, private, 
I'm of, I'm of this group. We're different from you. Do you realize, do you realize there, are, there are national, international denominations that believe if you're not a part of their denomination, you're not saved? I'm not trying to add to the division, I'm just telling you. Private, secretive, exclusive, self-defined, and unique. Now, self-defined, and this is the one I really want to focus in on because I believe if there's one characteristic of a personal relationship mindset that, that is perhaps the most prevalent and the most harmful of all these different concepts captured by the word personal, it's this idea of something personal being self-defined. And so again, self-defined means it is whatever you say it is. Hence the deception that you have something with God that no one else has. Wow. A personal relationship mindset towards God leads to the deception. Listen to me now. Because see, this is where when it when it becomes self-defined, what's what is the difference here between, in other words, what what should it be? Not, not self-defined. Somebody holler out. It should be God-defined, right? God-defined. It's, it's not whatever kind of relationship with Him you decide you want to have. He's not open. He, he's, that is not what He's invited you to. He's invited you and me to have fellowship with Him. Now, Amen. Let me get a sip of water and we'll bring this home. Y'all okay? A personal relationship mindset towards God leads us to, to these deceptions. And there's many more. But we've talked a lot the last few weeks about this self-help approach towards God. This self-help approach towards God. How many of you ever heard this one? I have heard this one so many times over the years. I worship God in my own way. I worship God in my own way. You know, clapping my hands is not my personality. Lifting my hands is not my personality. I'm not a big fan of, of music. Guess what? God is a big fan of music. And I'm not trying to be just overbearing tonight, but the scriptures tell us how God desires for us to worship Him. Singing, dancing, lifting our hands, shouting, clapping. Obviously, the attitude of the heart is the most important thing. But how can the attitude of our heart be right if the attitude of our heart is, well, I'm just going to worship God in my own way. But see, this is, this is all carried over in a personal relationship being a self-defined relationship with God. A personal relationship mindset towards God will deceive you into considering eternal truth through a filter of convenience. It's like, well, you know, I mean, this really doesn't fit into my lifestyle right now. 
But you know, me and God, we, we, we've got our own thing worked out here. I was just a kid, and I, I think I've shared this, it's been a while, but um, Evil Knievel, you know, I, I wasn't really into Superman, Spider-Man, all that. Those folks, they, I was all make-believe. This dude coming off this ramp on this Harley about to jump over all them buses, that was real. And I don't know, as a kid, you know, we used to get out there with, on our bicycles and set up ramps and jump stuff, and you know, I used to think, man, the guts to do that, you know. It's, and then, you know, uh, evil Knievel's son, Robbie Knievel, you know, he, he tried to take it up a notch and do some things, you know. And, and I'll never forget one time they, they was asking him about him being scared and how he could die and this sort of stuff. He goes, ah, he's, you know, me and the man upstairs, we got our own thing worked out. I thought, oh, Lord, Jesus, that man needs to park that motorcycle. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of like this whole idea of I don't mess with him, he don't mess with me, and we're just cool like that, you know. No. No. A personal relationship mindset towards God leads to the deception that attendance is optional, blessings are owed, serving depends upon what's in it for me, and a quick dismissal of any correction by saying God understands. God did not invite you to have whatever kind of relationship with him you decide you would like to have. God is not interested in being your homeboy, your mascot, your sidekick, your trophy, your backup plan, your side hustle, your fire escape, or your good luck charm. A personal relationship mindset with God is behind each of these severe misconceptions. Furthermore, God is not interested in you being his acquaintance, lackey, puppet, social experiment, hireling, pet, toy, slave, robot, or cosmic hobby. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, even with a little extra time tonight, I still didn't get as far as I was hoping I would get. That's okay. That's okay. I just want to take my time through all this and, and make this plain and show you these things in Scripture. If we had another hour and a half, and we don't, obviously, um, this is where we'll be next week unless the Holy Spirit directs me somewhere else before we get here, is there's something that's been lost in translation that I want you to be sure and see in Scripture because what we... What we have in the English Bible is somewhat misleading. It almost, it almost sounds like Jesus never, never spoke out about this when he did. And when I say it's lost in translation, when we read in scriptures Jesus using the word friend, in the English translation of the Bible, we're actually seeing different words in the original language that Jesus used that have vastly different meanings. For instance, when he called Judas friend in Matthew the 26th chapter, friend, what are, what are you here for? What are you, what are you doing here? He wasn't using the word philos, which speaks of a true friend. But instead, he was, he, was a, he was using a word 
that it, it's heteros in the, in the Greek transliteration. It's, it's literally speaking of a, a person who thinks they're a friend, who acts like a friend, who puts himself forward as a friend, but is only interested in what's in it for them. And obviously Judas was not a true friend. He was interested in the 30 pieces of silver. In other words, his <clears throat> personal relationship with Jesus provided the opportunity for him to walk right up to Jesus and kiss Jesus. But when Jesus called him friend, he wasn't extending an olive branch or even offering him a pardon. He used the word hater. And, and when he called him hater, he was literally saying to him, the only reason you're here is for what's in it for you. See, that kind of mindset, that's a personal relationship mindset. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? And it prevents us from enjoying the life-changing, life-giving fellowship that Father desires to have with us. Amen. So more on that to come. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you for these beautiful men and women, Lord. They could be so many other places doing so many other things, Father, tonight. But Lord, they're here because they love you. They're here, Father, because they want to be in your presence. They want to hear your word. They want to fellowship with you, and they want to fellowship with other men and women that they are equally yoked together with. And so, Father, thank you for this family of faith, Father. Thank you for these members of your body and this, in this local body, Lord, and the fellowship that we enjoy with one another and the fellowship that we enjoy with you. I thank you, Lord, for your love and, and your mercy and your kindness upon us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before you go, I, I started to share some of this. Um, Smithsonian just published a, a, uh, a long research piece. I don't know if any of you saw that. Um, where literally loneliness and isolation are causing people severe physical, not mental, not emotional health. Certainly there's the mental and emotional health. Loneliness and isolation is causing people to have severe physical health problems in their life. It, it, again, they don't come at it from a biblical perspective, but remember what Jesus, remember what God the Father said to Adam, it's not good, son, for you to be alone. And, and isolation is of the enemy, separating off from, is from the enemy. We've got all the, the, the smartphones and all this other stuff, and we use that to stay connected but it is, it is literally taking a toll on people's physical health because we weren't, we weren't created for it. It's life-giving when we fellowship with other people. It's life-giving when we fellowship with God. So thank you for being here. You're loved. I'll see you Sunday, if not before. Good things coming. Praise God.